Today on the Multiply Podcast, we're discussing is digital church the future? Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome to or welcome back to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. And my name is David. David, how you doing, man? I'm good. What's Jared in Spanish? Herod. Harid. 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 Yeah. Harid. Well, David is so more actually, is more French, on, right? I mean, I was let saying me the French version of your name. No, in Spanish, Jared is Tanto. <laughs> that can't be right. Tanto es estupido. <laughs> <laughs> no, that can't be right. And I don't speak Spanish, so don't don't pull your high school Spanish out on me. This is a true story, a little fact about about Jared Berry, who grew up in the paradise state that is known as Vermont. Um, Vermont is on the Canadian border, and if you didn't know this about Canada, many people in Canada speak French. And so in high school, we were pushed to speak French, and I took French for many, many years, although I don't remember hardly any of it now. Um, but I'm a little annoyed because it seemed like a little short-sightedness in the leadership of our school to push us to take French and not Spanish since, um, you know, half the world speaks Spanish or more now. So, uh, well, anyway. and then you ended up in the metro region of New York city. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Then, then 13 years of pastoring in New York city where, um, almost everybody speaks Spanish. So yeah, I was a little annoyed by them. Not that I would have remembered much. Cause I think most people that took high school Spanish still barely remember anything, but it would have been nice to have a, at least you know, my I- numbers down. I took three years of high school Spanish, and um, I don't know. I, I might just have a mind for languages, but it always really stuck with me. And but then going on mission trips to Spanish-speaking countries, like um, you know, going to Mexico, going to Cuba, going to Ecuador, um, places like that, um, Dominican Republic, it it, uh, it would come back to me. Like, and I, you know, I hadn't thought about it since high school, but all of a sudden I would just remember vocabulary and and how to put sentences together. And I remember when I was in Cuba in 2003 the the church leaders that we were hanging out they said to me like if you would live here for six months you would be fluent uh in spanish and i said yes but i also probably would never get back to america so yeah well i mean based on your pronunciation the pronunciation i heard i think you're maybe a little overconfident in your abilities but um (laughs) it sounds like those guys are trying to be that was that was 17 years ago, so I will say my skills have slipped a little bit. <laughs> well, what makes it worse is I married a, a girl who's half Peruvian, and um, and although she although she's not fluent speaking Spanish, she can do a little bit, and she's pretty fluent in understanding Spanish. So it definitely would have been helpful in my marriage when she yells at me in words I don't understand. But uh, <laughs> actually, maybe it's better for your marriage that you can't understand. That's true. That's true. That's true. Well, man, how you been? How you been? I've been well. You know, we're um, we're getting through this season. Today is Memorial Day, so we want to say, of course, thank you to all those uh, who fought for our country and specifically for those who gave the ultimate sacrifice, lost their lives in service of our country. And uh, obviously this year, Memorial Day is different. Uh, depending on where you are in the country, you may or may not be able to be with people, but uh, obviously we can all still give thanks for those those individuals but we're doing well how about you yeah doing well i mean this is a sad a sad reminder because you know we've developed a little tradition over over the years since we moved to syracuse of doing a 
a little bit of a Memorial Day pool party bash to which you have come to uh, amongst mm-hmm. some other friends of ours. And um, and this year, yep. it, ain't, it ain't happening. How do you feel about that? No. Nah. Well, full disclosure, we are recording a couple of weeks in advance, and this is a very fluid situation in where we live in New York. So there might be a 10% chance that we are together on Memorial Day, but but uh, that really all depends also on the comfort level of individuals. Cause well, this even is if the state open things up. This is kind of my way of telling you you're not invited. Oh, <laughs> well, then I feel pretty crummy about it. <laughs> yeah, I guess we're looking into the future. My guess is it ain't going to happen. Um, and, and as David said, we were recording this ahead of time. And uh, we recently did open up our pool, which is this is the normal time to do it. And then it proceeded to snow here in Syracuse. Which I just yep. felt like, why God? I was kind of questioning if God existed in that moment. I can't lie. <laughs> I'm like, this is just we wrong. call it the truck. Yep. Well, it just develops character, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, well, anyway, hope you guys are doing well. Hope everybody is um, staying as healthy as possible and and um, being fruitful. And um, we want to we want to talk a little bit today about something that has been um, a big part of discussion since since COVID nineteen hit as as far as the church world goes, which is kind of digital church. And um, obviously, churches were in this space, and some better than others, and more than others before. But this kind of forced everybody to get into this space and only this space, right? Because you can't meet in person anymore. You can't. Um, and again, by the time that this airs, maybe some churches are 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 doing that back a little bit. But even if you are, it's going to be very different than before and really constrained. And so we want to spend some time a little bit today talking about about digital church, online church, and um, some of our thoughts, some of the, the, the uh, I think, David, I don't know about you, but in my encounters and experiences and conversations, there seems to be a couple of camps on this, some that are super excited about it and the potential and feel like, hey, finally the church is, the church is getting into this space where they should have been for a long time. Um, and then there's some others who are kind of neutral, like, eh, it's okay. But then there's some that are feeling like, hold on a second, we're afraid that this is replacing in people's minds the need to gather together in person. Have you have you felt that tension or encountered that tension amongst people? Yeah, I've I've, I've heard voices on various asp- uh, various places on that spectrum, um, for sure. Yeah, I, and, I, and I think it's a really important conversation. And I think it's one that needs to be wrestled with, um, not just philosophically, but theologically, um, not just from a perspective of what works, but what does it mean to be the people of God um, in a specific place and at a specific time, living on his mission for his glory. And so uh, I, I have I can kind of understand aspects of all everything you just described. I, I, I think there's good. I think there's. I think there's things to be concerned about. I think there's tensions to manage. I think there's things to wrestle down. And as long as people are thoughtfully and theologically engaging, then I, I you know, I think we'll find our way forward. But these are, this is a really important conversation right now. Yeah. Okay. So as we have this conversation in your mind, what's the starting point? You know, where do we kind of, where do we kind of start to say, this is the grounding, this is the thing, um, I would assume it, it would be our mission, right? But I'd be interested to hear from you. Like, where, where do you, when you're having this conversation or just thinking about it uh, uh, on your own as a senior pastor, where do you start? Yeah. Well, I mean, I want to say this first. I'm really thankful for digital church, um, online church. Our church was not really, we were podcasting my sermons, 
but we weren't doing anything video and we certainly were not putting entire services online. And, uh, you know, a shout out to the team here at Trinity, specifically two men named Chris and Rick, who have really just like helped us um, get online and were able to put the pre-recorded versions of our services online on church online and, and YouTube and Facebook premiere. And uh, man, the people in our church that are disconnected right now, which of course is everybody, um, there's, there's such gratitude that we can still gather this way in this capacity. And so I'm, I, I appreciate what the camp, the camp that's like, this is where we should have always been. I agree. Like we, we, we should have this presence because this is where people live their lives. Right. And so I think it's a great tool right now. And even after this season to sort of think missionally and live missionally and to get where people are. Um, I think there's some serious pros to online services, things that I'm very, very grateful for and thankful for. Um, and I, I guess I can start. Do you want me to share some of my you want to have a conversation first about some of the things I think are good about it? Yeah. Well, let me get back to your, your initial question just to answer it real quick. And then maybe we can jump to some pros and cons. Where does this conversation start? I think it starts with a biblically informed ecclesiology. Ecclesiology is just a fancy term for saying who is the what does it mean to be the church, uh, the church, the people of God. Um, you know, one definition of the church is that the uh, the people of God saved by the power of God for the purposes of God. Now, what informs our ecclesiology, I think, is our Christology, which is what do we believe about Jesus, the person and work of Jesus. And then once we see Jesus for who he is, um, what does it mean to be his body, to be his people, to be his bride, you know, to use all those New Testament metaphors? I think that's where the conversation ultimately has to start and and find its roots in. Um, but I also think there's room for even if we agree theologically, I think sometimes there's rooms for different philosophies right. to flow out of the same theology. Does that make sense? Yeah. And you have to start there, right, because. Otherwise, you can, um, when you're trying to assess whether something is good or not, or the fruit of something, um, it's easy to assess it in a wrong way, because um, you're assessing based on your own perspective. Oh, we had a thousand people watch this video. We've never had that before. Wow, that, that's an awesome win. But if you don't have in mind what, what, your, um, what your mission is, if you don't have in mind the definition biblically of what it means to be the church and what the goal is then it's really hard to know whether or not what you're doing is effective. So um, like uh, Simon Sinek's book, right, It start, you always start with a why. I probably butchered that title a little mm-hmm. bit, but, um, but that's the whole point, right? It has to start with why do we exist? What is God wanting from us? And then once you, once you have that down, I think it's easier to measure and assess kind of the different strategies or platforms or stuff that you're doing. Right, because, you know— um knowing why you exist and who you are called to be that greatly informs how you measure your success. Right. Yeah. And um, so I think if the church is primarily a producer of religious content, spiritual goods, spiritual content to be experienced and consumed by individuals, then our metric for success is very different than if we think the church is the people of God who exists to bear God's image. Well, and to live out the incarnational nature of Jesus in a community uh, and to have a formative impact on each other in person, uh, in space, you know. And so obviously those are two very different um, 
definitions of what the church exists for. And depending on which one you lean towards, it's greatly going to impact the way you measure the value, the worth, and the limitations of online church. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we, we've I think we've gotten that idea down. Now let's uh, assume that people have thought through that, they have an understanding of that. Let's talk a little bit, um, and this will be obviously from your perspective, but a little bit of the wins or the benefits of digital online church. Yeah, so I think obviously um, the wins are that the most obvious one to everybody right now is that when we are forced into a season of not being able to gather, we can still hear good biblical teaching. We can still have a sense of singing together. We can still gather and pray together. Like we our, our church. We, we have our Sunday morning service and then we have three other environments during the week where people can quote unquote be together. Monday nights, we sing together on Facebook live. Wednesday night, we grow together using zoom and breaking into smaller grow groups where they can process and discuss the message from Sunday. And then Saturday nights, we use Zoom uh, as a pray together time where people can call in and listen in as a pre-selected order of people pray through specific topics that have been assigned by leadership. And so one of the pros is that it allows us to see each other and hear each other when we otherwise wouldn't be able to if the technology didn't exist. Yeah. And that's a huge, obviously a huge pro in this time. But I think um, yeah. it extends beyond this time. And, and even before this all happened for churches that were not engaged, they I think there's this reality that they didn't realize that there is a pool of people out there that were either were not ready or were not willing to engage in the physical space, but would have been open and willing to engage in the digital space. And whether or not you think that is ideal or it's the end goal it at least it at least would have been a starting point which in my mind is a win and so there was kind of I think there's this pool of people that potentially would get connected and um, even even friends and neighbors of people that come to your church the opportunity for even them to be able to say hey um, actually you can check us out online we play, you know we, we do the services every Sunday you can watch the live stream you can go on and um, so for them to have the ability to kind of dive in at a very um, minimal amount of commitment, um, I think it is is a potential win and it, and it potentially is a kind of an opening for the Holy Spirit to do work in their heart and draw them closer into the body. Do you share that feeling or, or are you kind of more like, nah, I'm not really sure. I think there's some concerns there. No, I, I share that feeling. See, see, for me, I think if, if you have a larger disciple-making strategy that digital church and online services is a part of and has a very specific role in, then I, I think it, it makes a lot of sense and it adds a ton of value. So I don't think online services and digital church can be an entire discipleship strategy in and of itself, but I think it can fit into one. So for me, um, I love it as a resource for people in the medical field who have to work right on Sunday sometime and now they can stay connected in a way when they can't be there or people who are traveling for work or on vacation that still want to stay connected and then as you said I think it's a great I think it fits well into a discipleship strategy on the front end when you're thinking about on-ramping people reaching into people's homes that won't come to the church building a way that friends can share things with friends that they're already trying to disciple to Jesus so I definitely think it's a valuable resource that can find a spot in a larger disciple-making strategy. Do I think it can in any way replace what it means to gather as the people of God in a specific place together? I don't, um, and we'll get to that more. 
but I see I see a lot of value in it being um, part of a strategy. Yeah. Okay. What are some of the other wins that you think about um, that or that come to your mind in the in the digital space, online space of uh, church world? Well, you know, it's where people live, right? I mean, people live online, unfortunately, unfortunately, or I guess however you view it. Right. I think technology is not inherently evil. It's a tool that can be good or bad. But, uh, you know, people spend an inordinate amount of time on Facebook and on YouTube and online. And so in a way, uh, digital churches is missional in that you're you're going where they are. I would probably pull short of calling it incarnational because there's something not I don't know for me incarnational is too it's too physical of a word like it's too concrete of a word as far as um actual being in a space together but i do think it's a missional uh location and people are already there and so uh, i think that's one of the real values that people may hear the gospel uh going through facebook you know when they weren't planning you know and the spirit is the spirit can use that obviously this the spirit can use anything to draw people to the father. And so, uh, I think that's a big win is people are there. We should be there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if now's the time to dive into this, but I'm going to, we'll, we'll, I'll bring it up cause it's as probably as good a time as any, but I do think there, there is the potential in the online digital world for community in a way that some people don't realize. And, um, yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little younger than you. And by little, I mean a lot, a lot younger. I think young, mature or younger. Are we talking about maturity or age? Well, both, but more mature, less age, you know. <laughs> as soon as I said both, I realized I insulted myself. Dang it. Um, yeah. But so, for example, there's this world, there's this world of um, streaming, video game streaming, um, you know, where it, um, when you talk to um, when you talk to some older people, they don't get it like. I remember talking to my dad or my father-in-law about the idea that teenagers will watch people play video games live and actually pay them money to get a shout out and to be able to ask questions of that person and that people will make millions of dollars a year playing a video game to where someone else is watching them. And um, and I actually heard a, a recent statistic. I don't remember exactly, but it's interesting, like, streamers that play Minecraft, which is, um, I think it was one of, if not the most popular game of all time, video game. And, and it was something like over 50% of the people that watch these streamers play Minecraft don't actually even play the game themselves. Maybe they used to play it or whatever, but there's this whole world out there where people are feeling like this is my community and they're, and, and, and I feel connected. Now you may say, well, that's not ideal. It's not as good as in person, but I think we're we're missing something if we don't confront the reality that there is a generation of people that are that are coming up that do feel a real sense of community as they can interact with leaders in the digital space. And my concern is is that there are uh, leaders of maybe an older generation who just don't get it because they're like, I would never do that. I would never live there. And if and if we just simply fight against it. Um, I think we're missing an opportunity and potentially fighting a losing battle of saying, hey, this is where we're going um, so we can even embrace it and leverage it and understand it or we can fight it as long as we can until eventually um, we're no longer relevant. So, Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with what you're saying. I, I do think there is on, there is such a thing as online community. 
Um, I, I do think um, there's a lot of risk of equating that with um, in-person uh, community um, or, or thinking that they're equal, have equal value, can equally form and shape an individual um, or that e equally represent what it means to be the church. But I, I do think, you know, the other thing is just because people feel connected to other people digitally, I don't know if that's the same thing as biblical community. Um, you know, I think of like one of the clearest glimpses we have of the early church, of course, is the book of Acts. And there's that passage at the end of Acts 2 that everybody likes to reference when they talk about a healthy model of church. And I know this passage can be overused and overworked, but I'm just struck by Acts 2, 44. And I realized they were not, they didn't have the technology we have. They were not in quarantine. So I'm not trying to draw direct parallels. However, it does say all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. And that word one place uh, and then and then it says um, they worship together at the temple, which is a place, a space, a physical space each day. They met in homes, which is a physical space for the Lord's Supper. And and again, I realized the technology was not available. They, 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 they kind of had to do this to be together. But there's something about this sort of unity and community of being in the same space that I think there's something that the Lord blesses about that. In fact, I know there's a scripture that talks about that. It says in verse, the verse I skipped says they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need, which is like, which is the antithesis of individualism and consumerism, which I think are two of the greatest uh, um, sort of marks on our society in America today. And so one of the roles of the church, I think, is to have a prophetic voice in a way that challenges the kingdom, the earthly kingdom values that are most celebrated and valued in that location so in america it's individualism it's self-expression um it's consumerism uh and i think there has to be something about the church that confronts and exposes those things as being uh hin as, as hindering what it means to really be the people of god in place so so my only concern about online community is it's technology in its nature makes us more individualistic in the sense that we can now experience each other but from a distance and sitting alone in a room so i don't actually think it creates community i think it creates individual individualism which then you can bring people together and so i, I do think those places we need to be in those places i just don't see it as the same thing as actually being in a space together yeah, yeah. I, I don't disagree. I think it's not the same thing. I think there are some advantages to um, to being together in person, of course, and, and making disciples. I, I just think my fear is um, the total dismissal that that community, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but just in general, the complete dismissal that community could never happen um, in a digital space, I do think is potentially out of touch with how a lot of people feel. And I don't think it should be the yeah. sole replacement, but I do think um, we would be foolish to, I do think there's a reality of a generation of people that are coming up that um, that may have a different sense of community than we do and may feel it differently and maybe ha have the opportunity, ability to connect in a, in a way digitally that that you couldn't or your parents definitely couldn't. Um, but because mm -hmm. because they were raised different, our kids were raised different, um, they, they do feel like they have that ability. And so I would hate to miss that opportunity 
um, just because we draw a hard line in the sand over something that maybe we don't totally relate to. Yeah, I think I think we're on the same page on this, um, and, and I agree with what you're saying. I think it has, I think it has value, and I think it's something that can be um, leveraged um, for the kingdom, you know, for the advancement of the kingdom, and 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 for the gospel. Um, you know, I think um, some of the things that concern me, I guess, you know, or would you, were there any other pros before we kind of move? I know I've already started to reference some concerns, but. Any other pros on your end that you were thinking of as far as like, this is what I love about it. This is where I think the value lies in it. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the only other thing I could think of, I think that we've already kind of touched on is obviously expands your, um, your missional capacity, you know, the ability for people to, to, um, kind of share services in their digital space. So the, the ability for you to connect with people that you normally couldn't. So as I'm, as I'm doing a watch party on Facebook of Trinity Service, and I've got kids that I went to uh, I went to high school with that would never never look at the uh, website, never come, never be in Syracuse, but all of a sudden they're tuning in because they're friends with me, and I'm like, oh man, I didn't even think yeah. of that person. So I do think it it profoundly expands the ability for people to hear the gospel, for people to um, mm-hmm. to be potentially open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do, and it's not a discipleship tool. But um, but there is the opportunity for them to hear the gospel, respond, and then hopefully in whatever their local setting is, um, get connected. So I think that's a massive a massive win that we're seeing now. Yeah, I totally agree, and I celebrate that too. Um, you know, when I, when I think of um, what it means to follow Jesus and to be a part of His people, like when I look at the when I look at the Gospels and I look at the Book of Acts and then the Epistles, I feel like one of the things that maybe we're at risk at if we rely too heavily on online church and digital services is I think it always cost people something and there, it was always an inconvenience, you know, guys left what they were doing to follow Jesus and the church sold their stuff. And, and it also cost them relationally. They had to walk away from certain relationships into new relationships. And even those new relationships cost them something as Jews and Gentiles were learning what it meant to be the same, you know, to be a people together. And, and now the rich and the poor were celebrating in house churches together. And, and so I think one of the limitations of the digital church, the online church experience, I'm not sure it costs anybody anything. Mm. Um, and it's very convenient and it's very consumeristic and it's at my pace and it's at my timing and I don't actually have to get up and go somewhere. And I don't have the inconvenience of getting my family out the door and the inconvenience of uh, parking and finding a seat and the inconvenience of gathering with people who I don't agree with politically or don't look like me or older than me or have a different skin color than me. Uh, the inconvenience of, of just that whole, that it costs. And I know that's nothing compared to what it's costing people around the world to follow Jesus. Right. But I, I'm worried that in America, that if we just keep chipping away at what it actually costs you to be a part of the family of God, eventually we're left with something that's very convenient, very artificial, self-selected community, very distracted, which obviously digital church, I mean, it's really more distracting, I think, to try to watch something on your computer than it is to sit in a room and listen to somebody because you're one click away from opening up another tab or getting a Facebook notification, which I know people have their phones in church. So that's happening there, too. Um, so, you know, people talk about is digital church is online, the future of the church. And and I, I think online might be the future of, of reaching people, 
uh, that you can't reach in, in um, sort of normal ways. And I think online might be the future of the consumption of religious goods and spiritual services. But if the church is the people of God living on the mission of God for the glory of God in the specific community and then shaping each other through meaningful relationship, uh, the one another's love one another, consider one another, bear each other's burdens, then I think digital church, online church will always fall short of that. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's bad or wrong. Right. It just means we got to be careful that we don't rely to. I don't think online service can bear the weight of what it actually means to be the church. Yeah. Well, and I think to to your point too, there's something to community accountability when you're a part of a when you're a part of a church body yeah. that is not there when it's just solely online, right? Like if I if I when I have to go to church on a Sunday, well, I, I, like you said, I've got I've got the responsibility of getting dressed, doing all that. Um, but then I also have to think about what's my attitude like as I'm stepping in this space. How do I? How am I interacting with the people that are around me that are there? Am I showing yeah. up? Am I even showing up? Do people? Pe- if I don't, people are gonna. Yeah. People know. People are. And, and I'm not saying you should be motivated by approval or rejection, but there is a sense of accountability of like, no, I, this is not just about me. It's also about the example I'm setting for other people around me. It's am I there for the other yeah. for other people? How am I behaving? How am I interacting? All those type of things that if it's just digital, you're right. That stuff is gone. There's no sort of corporate accountability of we're in this together, um, you know. And uh, and I I do think that's a major major loss. Yeah, and and, and how do you exercise your gifts? You know, right. isolated. I'm sure there's ways, but whether it's spiritual gifts or natural gifts. How do you how do you serve one another? And I know you can, um, but I just think um, you know at least in, in 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 my paradigm of thinking about what it means to be the church, I think there's there's something about being together that causes us to know each other, um, to disciple and you know disciple one another. And I also think you know that one of the one of the concerns that a lot of sociologists have about the increased use of screens when it comes to bullying is that kids, when they're bullying each other, they're no longer seeing the impact it has on the other person physically. So they don't see the kid wince or um, they don't see the hurt they're causing. Right. And one of the long-term concerns that sociologists have is, is there going to be a lack of empathy? Because you develop empathy by seeing um, how your actions uh, affect either other people positively or negatively. Mm. And I wonder like if we're not gathering together in a physical space, if there's going to be a lack of spiritual empathy to see how other people respond to the preaching of the word, to hear them say things like, Oh man, amen. Or, or to see other people sing and hear other people sing and, and, and how we are constrained in one another and come together in that way. And, and so I think the more digitally connected we are, but the less connected we are in, in physically, I, I'm worried that the, our spiritual concern for each other and our spiritual empathy will might suffer in the long run. Yeah. Well, and I, I know we're, you know, we're about 30 minutes in now, but I do think also one of my concerns with the digital space is that um, pastors are, they begin to measure and be excited about the wrong things. And in particular, yeah. so thing, things that they think are major wins are potentially not as great of wins as they think, you know, like I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this, but, oh man, we only, you know, we won't, we only have 50 people that come on a Sunday and I've already had a thousand views of my sermon. And I, and I understand that excitement. Um, however, man, it's dangerous to begin to start going, 
wow, what a win that is. In fact, that's way more of a win than I was preaching every week. Of course, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Most people of those thousand that clicked didn't watch more than, you know, a one minute of that sermon um, and a whole variety of other reasons. So what are some of your thoughts on, on that of just the potential in the digital world of, um, of assuming things are, are huge victories when maybe they're not? Yeah, I mean, you know, on Facebook, a three-second view counts as a view. Uh, on YouTube, 30 seconds counts as a view. So those metrics are so artificial and misleading. Um, and, um, you know, and, and even just ex- exchanging one metric of attendance for another metric of online engagement, it's still not really a biblical metric. The metric that we all exist for is making disciples. And and all those things are part of making disciples, but they don't necessarily measure whether or not we're making disciples. So, you know, I, I think that it's limited. And I also think it's a small view of the church because to be the church means to bear God's image well. It means to live for the good of creation and human flourishing. Uh, it means to have a mission that we embrace. And I think those are all bigger issues. Is that, and when we think about digital church, can we really, as a people, bear God's image well, uh, disconnected? Um, and I'm not talking about this season, we're kind of forced into it, but in the long run, uh, what does human flourishing look like in a world where we're no longer together in the same space? So I just think it's a, such a small, um, narrow metric for, for success, and uh, it has some serious limitations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, we're coming to the end here. Hopefully this is helpful for you. It sounds like we um, basically answered no questions and left you exactly where you started, but um, hopefully that's not the case. This is all good stuff to chew on and think through, and I think if, if you're a pastor and you're wrestling with this, then then you're already um, light years ahead of most because that means you're actually thinking about it and aware of it, which is which is huge. Yeah. Um, before we go, though, we want to do our, our special portion called David's Eats, where we not only help make better leaders, but also better eaters. It is Memorial Day. And so, David, I want to hear from you, kind of what's your favorite, like, um, typically we do barbecue on Memorial Day. Well, like, what's your favorite kind of like you're doing a barbecue, uh, Memorial Day barbecue? What What are you having? What food is there? And uh, you don't got to give us yeah. everything, but what's kind of, what are you thinking is the the main the main thing? Well, I, I, on Memorial Day, I really want a good hot dog, you know? That mm. might seem boring. I mean, I, I'm down with ribs, and I'm down with burgers, but, like, in, in central New York, Hoffman hot dogs, they're king. And so I want a good Hoffman's hot dog. I want a white hot dog. It's called a Coney or a Cooney, depending on where you're listening from. And um, just brown spicy mustard on it, maybe. Uh, a good New England-style roll, uh, maybe toasted, buttered and toasted a little bit. Oh, buttered um, and toasted. And, and if man. I really want to kind of – the roll, yeah. If, if I really want to kind of go a little more exotic, I'll, I'll put some kimchi on that hot dog. And so um, I like it all, but, man, there's nothing like a, a hot dog on a grill. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And, th- and there's something about that, too, that you can just keep – you can kind of, like, pop a bunch of them throughout the day, right? You're like, oh, it, it doesn't, like, <laughs> stuff you so much, but you can keep going. No. You're like, let me grab another one, you know, go for a swim, come back, grab yeah. another – yeah, it's dangerous, though, because they pack a lot of calories and fat into those hot dogs. <laughs> yeah, they are tasty. Now, are you a watermelon guy? I mean, what are you doing on the sides? I like watermelon if it's really cold. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, like, really cold water. And I also prefer just to, like, have it cubed up. I know that sounds kind of <laughs> high maintenance, but I'm not into eating it off the rind and getting the watermelon juice all over my face and down my shirt. 
Okay. Well, that's why you got to do the lean over the grass. I mean, come on, man. Yeah. You know? That's true. I do like watermelon. I don't get excited about watermelon, but once it's there and it's chopped up and it's really cold on a hot day, I really do enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, once again, I'm now hungry and um, dreaming of nice warm weather um, because it's still cold here in Syracuse. But everybody, this has been the Multiply Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you guys next time.